look at the book of Acts. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good, God. Thank you just for family, God, brothers and sisters, and the precious blood of Jesus that we can just, Lord, we can come in and be a family and pray together and, and talk together. And now that we can worship together and read your word together and study together, and God, thank you for, for bringing us together, God. Thank you for the oneness. Thank you for the goodness. Thank you, Lord, for that we can try the Spirit, and the Spirit agrees, Father, that Lord, there's just unity among us. You've been good to us, Father. I pray you take this here that you wrote to us in the Acts of the Apostles. I pray that you would teach us something tonight from the life of Stephen. I pray you'd help us to go out knowing more about you and, and hungrier to know more, God. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were at Acts chapter 7 as we continue our study. You know, I'm kind of a skim over study, but our study through the book of Acts. We looked at the fact last week that it took years for God to complete the dreams that he showed to Joseph. He, he showed him his plans. He showed him that there would be a time that his brothers and everybody would bow down. But it was years between actually having the dream and all the heartaches and all that he went through before he saw God fulfill the dreams. But God's always faithful. Anybody go ahead. Amen means I agree. I'm not going to beg one out of you. I'll just tell you up front. If you want to agree with it, you can pop an amen out there. God is always on time. God never fails. God is always faithful. Now remember what we're looking at here is Stephen's presentation or his defense, if you will, against the Sanhedrin council. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's been accused of blasphemy against the law of Moses. He's been accused of blasphemy against the temple because he said neither of those are forever. They have an ending date, and Christ is forever. And so he's been brought up with charges of blasphemy. He has began his defense against the Sanhedrin. But you remember, he's not trying to be acquitted of any charges right here. That's not what's on his mind. He, he is desperately trying to get the Sanhedrin to see Jesus Christ. He's trying to get all of those who are present to, to understand the purpose of the coming of Christ. Verse number 9, we made it to verse 11 last week. I'll pick up at 9 just to kind of cover a little ground and, and get us into to where we're going. It says, Acts chapter 7, verse 9, of the patriarchs, now that would be the, the, the sons of, of Jacob, moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land. That's a famine. There came a severe famine over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And great affliction. Our fathers found no sustenance. So there was no food. They were running out of water. Everybody's hungry. Verse number 12, when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. Yet the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called for his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, and our fathers were carried away into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. When the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn unto Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. So another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our father, so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. 
in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. I'm not sure if we'll make it that far, certainly not any further. Thank you. You can be seated. We'll pick back up there. From, from the time that Joseph had the dream that his brothers would bow down and serve him about the sheaves in the field and how his sheep arose and the other sheaves bowed down, at that time God set in motion a chain reaction of things that would bring Joseph to the fulfillment of the plan. It would bring everything to a place that Joseph would be in the spot that his own brethren would indeed come and bow down before him. The rejection of Joseph began the sorrow of God's people. Jacob is God's people. This is the, the meat of the Hebrew nation here. This is the center part of what we, what we call the Jews, mostly of the Hebrews. This is the beginning of the sorrows. It set in motion the things that would eventually become a great famine over all the land that would cause Jacob to have to send his sons out to go and find food. But the famine was necessary. It was necessary that Joseph be put in a pit. It was necessary that Joseph be sold to the Midianites. It was necessary that Joseph be sold into Potiphar's house. It was necessary that Joseph be accused of something against Potiphar's wife, be cast into a cold, damp dungeon so that he could prophesy and, and tell a dream that he could... Um, Wow, what is it with the dream? What is it with the dream? Uh, tell me. Interpret. Thank you. I told you I ran out on, on, on shoestring so that he could interpret the dream of another prisoner, which was a chef, back up at the house of Pharaoh, so that he could go back so that Pharaoh could have a dream, and Pharaoh would be upset and sleepless at night so that he could tell him about somebody down here that interpreted a dream so that he could come back up and become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt so that a famine could come, so that Joseph's family could get hungry, so that they could come looking for food, so that they would bow down and fulfill the dream. Boy, God had it all planned, didn't he? All of it was necessary to complete the plan. They came looking for food. They came looking. What they needed was a savior. They needed somebody that had some food in store, something to save their lives. And unbeknown to them, they ended up at the feet of their brother. They ended up bowed down before the very one that they hated because of the dream. It is a replica of the fulfillment of what we see in Christ when the Jews one day will be bowed at the feet of Jesus Christ at the throne. Stephen says in verse 13 and 14, that the second time Joseph was made known to his brother and, Joseph, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh, Joseph called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. Now, Stephen doesn't get bogged down here over a lot of details. He knows that these men here in the Sanhedrin council, they are the religious elite of the Hebrew nation, uh, of, of the Jews. He knows that they know exactly what he's talking about. The Old Testament parallel is exact. Joseph is seated at the right hand of a king. Joseph has a Gentile bride after being rejected by his own, and all of his brethren are coming and kneeling at his feet, and Joseph is offering restoration. We said a week or two ago that Joseph is probably the most parallel of Christ of anybody else in the Scripture, the most Christ-like form of the Old Testament. There's several but I would think Joseph would probably be the most Christ-like. So everything was designed by God in the beginning to bring them to the place where they knelt at the feet. Genesis chapter 42, verse 21 said, We are very guilty concerning our brother. 
So it took some things to get them to bring them to a place to where it said, man, we did wrong with what we did back in those days with Joseph. So when all of the, the reconciliation is complete, Joseph brought all of his family to him, introduces them to the king who gives them a spot of land. Now they got a place to live and they got some food. And Stephen says in verse number 15 that Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem, laid at the sepulchre that Abraham bought from a sum of money from the sons of Immor, the father of Shechem. Joseph never lost sight of the fact that the promises of God that were made to Abraham are to be fulfilled in the promised land. The promises that was made to Abraham was not to be fulfilled in Egypt. He knows that the promises that were made when Abraham was going to a land to leave thy father's house and go into a land that I will show thee, that that promise was to be fulfilled in Canaan land. He never lost sight of that. He knows that. The Sanhedrin council knows that. Joseph knows, or Stephen knows that the Sanhedrin knows that here in this conversation. He's trying to show them how God's people rejecting their own is simply God's plan and making a way to redeem his own. The same thing that happened with Joseph is the same thing that just happened with Jesus. That's what he's trying to get him to see. Joseph was the anointed. Joseph, God put in place to redeem his people. His own brethren, his own family didn't believe in him. His own family sold him out as a slave. His own family hated him. And then he becomes the one that they bowed down to after they had rejected him. Jesus Christ came unto his own. His own received him not. Cast out. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. Stephen's not trying to get out of trouble. That's what I meant at the beginning. This, he's not trying to get acquitted of charges. He's trying to get them to see that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. He's trying to get them to see that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all. Verse number 17, he starts out saying, But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, when the time of the promise, Y'all see those? Time of the promise. That means that the promise doesn't mean I'm going to do it today. The promise is going to be done. There is a promise and there is a time. God never watches the clock. God has everything set in time. He ain't ever late. Somebody can say amen. It seemed like he's been late sometimes in my life. I felt like I was at the fourth day at Lazarus' tomb sometime. I felt like he didn't get there on time, but he always made a way out of no way when he got there and let me know that even though I thought he was late, he was right on time. God has a plan for the end before the beginning ever gets there, and he's never late and he's never early. God is always on time. He perfectly, perfectly fulfills every appointment and perfectly fulfills every promise. God established time to govern human affairs. God established time to put things in motion here. God established the sun and the moon, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. In Genesis 1.16, he said all things in motion. And, and God put it so that the sun regulates the days and the years and the moon divides them up into months. God put everything in time, but it's to, to take care of human affairs. Now, you've heard me say a lot of times, you can't study the book of Revelation without the book of Daniel. 
And you can't study the book of Daniel without the book of Revelation. You need both of them. They are, they are entwined together. Daniel gives the prophecy of the 70 years, which pointed to the time when the Jews were carried away by the Babylonians. Then we have the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks is the time when the Messiah is to be cut off after the 69th week. Revelation 12, 14 is referencing a period called a time and times and half time. It's the same period. It's also referenced as the 40 and 2 months. It's even referenced again as the 1,260 days. But that period is related to the second half of Daniel's 70th week when the beast is going to set up. Uh, the beast will be put up at the kingdom and, and set up there in the image for the temple. But at that point, the Jews will begin their countdown to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is coming back. God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. It hasn't been completed yet. Everything that he made promised, or right now we're in a time out, if you will. We're in the dispensation period of grace when Jesus Christ showed up and, and fulfilled the law and on, on love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And he established grace. And this is the church age, the dispensation period of grace. God did not break his promise. There is a time set forth before God ever made the promise to Abraham. He already knew about the rejection. He already knew before he ever created the world about Adam and Eve. If God did not know the future, how in the world could he tell me the book of Revelation? If God didn't know what was going to happen, how could he tell me things? How could he have shown John things that are already taking place if God wasn't already there and know these things? So it's a time. God has a time for everything. Jesus, after the resurrection, he remained 40 days. He was with the disciples and saw among several hundred people. There was a time in there. The number 40 is always trials and testings in God's word. It says, he told the act, we saw in Acts chapter 1 where he told the disciples to wait there at Jerusalem. He said, you wait until the Holy Spirit comes. It was 50 days between the Passover and Pentecost. The number 50 is always the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Everything was done in perfect precision when it came to the Passover, when it came to the feast, when it came to the Feast of Weeks or the seven weeks of seven, which led up to, to the Pentecost on the 50th day, um, the, the first fruits, the, the unleavened bread. Everything that God does is, is in perfect order. And everything that God put in place and everything involving Jesus was in perfect order numerical order just like the word of God so Stephen goes on to say in verse 17 that the time of the promise drew nigh which God had sworn to Abraham the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose which knew not Joseph most of you probably remember actually Joe Arthur has preached it twice here at this church several years ago he preached a message they knew not Joseph and about three years ago, maybe four years ago, he preached that same message again. Y'all remember it? He said, there was a time in the day of Egypt when everybody knew Joseph. But then there came a generation when most people knew Joseph. And then there, if y'all remember the sermon, y'all start to remember? Then there came a generation which some people knew Joseph until there rose up a generation where nobody knew Joseph. And he said, that's where we are in America. There was a day when everybody knew Jesus. And it dropped down to where most people knew Jesus. And we're down here where a few people know Jesus. 
but we are one generation away from a generation who knew not Jesus. And if we don't tell the story, if we don't tell about Jesus Christ, the next generation is going to come under our watch. I don't want that on me. I want the generation behind us to know that there is a Lord and a Savior named Jesus Christ that washes away all sins, that stepped down out of glory off heaven's throne to come down here, take on the form of a man, climb up on an old rugged cross, shed his blood so that all my sins could be washed away, and they, like me, can be saved and be given an eternal home in glory. It's up to us to tell it. There came up another king which knew not Joseph. Here in Stephen's rebuttal, this new Pharaoh has come into to power. There's a rapid multiplication of the Hebrew people concerning is concerning to this new king. He's upset by how fast they're growing. He knows nothing about Joseph. We just read that in the Bible. He knows nothing about God's deliverance. He knows nothing of anything about these people. All he knows is that there's getting to be too many of them. And if they were to side with a king on a foreign side, that they could come in and overthrow his kingdom. I mean, he knows they are their own nationality. They're not Egyptians. They're Hebrews. They have their own style. They have their own way of life. They have their own religion. No matter how weak and watered down it is at the time, they have their own way of doing things. So this Pharaoh becomes... Like a pre-Hitler, he decides to get rid of, of the Jews or at least narrow down this Jewish race. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have every Jewish male baby murdered when he's there. Now, see, Hitler had his gas chamber where he marched the Jews in there and he killed them in, in great numbers. But, but right here, the, the Pharaoh has the Nile River. And, and he has the crocodiles of the Nile River. So he passes the law, you either kill the child and throw them into the crocodiles, or you throw them in and let the crocodiles take care of it. God used that same river to deliver Moses. The same thing that he was using to kill the Hebrews is the same river that God himself used to send to deliver for his people. At the time when Pharaoh was having all of the Hebrew baby boys killed, that's the time when God sent Moses. At the time when the baby boys were being cast dead or alive into that river to be dead, that's the time that God had his chosen deliverer put in a river. See, it just don't make sense how God does things. We can't begin to comprehend the mind of God. But what seemed to be the worst time when don't let Moses be born now, they'll kill him. God said, nope, I'm going to show you something right here. I don't want anybody to make any mistakes about what I'm about to do. I want to know that it was nobody but God that could do these kind of things. Now, if you take a little bit of time and we just study that out, it, it would help us a lot. If we just take a little time and study that in our own lives, because there's a lot of times that, that we're facing things. There's a lot of times that we're burdened with things. There's a lot of times that we're bogged down with things, that we're going through things, trials, tribulations, or sickness. Or, or work, there's all kind of problems that go on. But if we could just remind ourselves that God already has the end established before we ever got to here. And the whole purpose between here and here is to make me better. 
Everything in it to increase my faith, to increase my wisdom, to make me pray more fervently, more effectively, to draw me closer to him. It is for my good and for his glory. And he had this end started before I ever got to here. And the sooner this knucklehead gets straightened out, the sooner I can get to here. He's just trying to do something in us. God has a purpose for everything that he does. Stephen says in verse number 19, the same dealt subtly with our kindred and treated evil entreated our father so they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live he's killing them all which time moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months stephen has now set the stage for yet another one of the the hebrew deliverers to come in there's not a listening ear among the sanhedrin council who does not know exactly what stephen is talking about that does not know exactly about the truth that he is establishing here as being absolute. God sent the judgment of water to this earth to, to punish sin. God flooded this earth, but Noah in Genesis 6, 8 found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And although judgment was sent by water, Noah was saved through the water through an ark made out of wood. The Nile River is where the Pharaoh was killing the baby boys. And God put his own up there and had Jochebed, his mom, put him in a little wooden ark and put him in the same river where Pharaoh was killing all the baby boys. I'm just telling you God's able to take care of yours. God's able to take care of mine. So, so God sends Pharaoh's daughter down to the river. He's had Jochebed take and put Moses in this little ark, this little wooden basket, and set it there in the bulrush, and and God sends the king's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, to get him. You say, well, now the Bible says she went to take a bath. Isn't that what it says? Don't it say she went to take a bath? I mean, everybody goes to take a bath, right? You're the king's daughter. You ought to be clean. No. No, you need to study history a little bit and learn. Egypt is is among one of the first cities that has an aqueduct system. There's running water through the city, through the land of Egypt. There's running water in the palace where she lives. There's half pipes of clay. There's water running through there. She did not have to go to that river. God sent her to that river. She had all of the land at her service. She had servants. It would not have been uncommon for her to have a servant draw a bath and heat the water and take a warm bath. She didn't just decide to go get down in that old muddy Nile River when she could have had a bath right here. God sent her down there because he had his deliverer placed into the waters and God had something special planned. God's looking way ahead. God's already looking past growing up 40 years in Pharaoh's palace. God's already looking past the Egyptian getting killed. God's already looking past the backside of the Midian desert where he's going to show up in a burning bush. God's already looking way out here, and he sends this woman down here to get him and bring him up because God's already established what's going to happen in just a few years down the road. Well, I don't know where I was at. I got so excited I forgot all about my notes. Huh? So Moses grew up in the Pharaoh's house. 
He learned the ways of the Egyptians. He was taught the ways of the Egyptians. He was taught even the religious belief of the Egyptians who had all their, their false gods and goddesses and stuff that they had. He, he learned about who they were. Now, here is the absolute truth of the matter. He could have stayed in that palace and become a great leader of the land of Egypt. He's Pharaoh's daughter's son. You call it adoption if you want. But you find out something about adoption, adoption is forever. Your parents, uh, your, your children can go change their last name and say you're no longer their parents if you're their natural parents. But if you've adopted them, they can't do that. So, so you, you have this adopted family. He, he is set up to be a great leader of Egypt, but he chose to be identified with his people. You see where Stephen's going with this one? He's setting it up again. Here comes another deliverer. God sending yet another deliverer to his people, but yet Moses gave up his throne, stepped down off his throne that would have been a promised throne to come down and, and to be a deliverer for God's people. He don't know that yet, but that's what he's coming down for. So Stephen reminds the Sanhedrin in verse 21. He says that when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But then it says, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Moses grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. That sounds a lot like somebody else. Who was that I read about in the Word of God? Somewhere it says somebody grew in wisdom and stature. Might have been somebody, Jesus. That sounds about right. You, you see, Stephen is just making the similarities right here. He's letting them see that God continually has sent deliverers to the Hebrew nation. He goes on and says that when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit the brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Verse number 25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Stephen says they understood not. The, the Hebrew children, all they see Moses as is a man living in the palace. He might have the same accent, the same color skin. He might look like him. He might have the same kind of hair. But all they see is a man living in the palace. All they see is a man that ain't dressed in slave clothes, going out to get straw and mud and make bricks and build stuff and get beat with whips. They see a man with Egyptian clothes on, with gold clad around his arm. All they see is, is a man who everything is being handed to, but Moses wanted to be identified with his people. He wanted to be identified with God's children. Verse 26 says that the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them one again, set them at one again, saying, Sirs, you're brethren. Why do you wrong to one another? Moses is trying to establish peace in the people. Moses has come down to get involved in the lives here. Kind, kind, of, like, kind of like Jesus. When Jesus came, they, they were all arguing. I mean, he's supposed to have had the temple. Everything's supposed to be in order because that's what the Sanhedrin comes from. You got the Pharisees. You got the Sadducees. They had the Herodians and the Zealots. But, but they're all arguing. Even now, the only thing they agree on is they hate Jesus and they hate Stephen. But they got their own between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You got the scribes that are the keepers and recorders of the law. They all have their own different opinions. They were all at 
odds with each other when Jesus came. Jeremiah prophesied, chapter 33, right after you get past the scripture, verse 3 on the foyer there. He says in verse 6, Behold, I will bring it health and cure, and will cure them, and reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return. And I will build them as at first. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 26, he told the disciples, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let, your heart, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Back to our text, the one that is arguing with Moses, the, the one that probably is the one causing the problem, the one that's accusing his brother, that most likely would be the one that takes sides here against Moses, said that, that he did his neighbor wrong, thrust him away, saying, Who made thee ruler and judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Stephen's establishing a pattern. This is the Hebrew people. Moses is a Hebrew son. This is them casting out their own. This is the one that rejected them. You'd think they'd be able to see, like, hey, man, God has put one of us in the White House. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a sold-out, born-again child of the living God as a president of the United States right now? Wouldn't it be awesome to have some preachers and some evangelists and some gospel singers running the Senate and all the stuff in the White House? Wouldn't it be awesome to have somebody that truly loves the Lord doing all they can running this nation, calling a nation into to sackcloth and ashes and fasting and prayer? Imagine what God would do if they called this nation we turned back. You would think they would have said, man, God has put one of ours in the White House. God has got one of ours, one of ours sitting up there at the right hand of Pharaoh. Man, we're in good shape. But that's not what they said. Who are you? you, you you're going to come down here and, and rule over us? So, so what Stephen is, is telling him is, is obviously the one that had wronged the brother and is doing this. He doesn't want this man pointing out his wrongdoing. He doesn't want him coming in and telling him anything. Kind of like the loss that we're trying to witness to. Don't want anybody pointing out their sins. Yeah, let's just get a little more. Like when I was lost and had grown up in church and knew what they were talking about, and I just wanted you to leave me alone. I didn't need you pointing out my sins. I had a guilty enough problem already because the Holy Spirit was already convicting me. He didn't want him pointing out his sins. Nobody really likes your failures being pointed out. Moses, just like Jesus, in John 1.11, he came into his own, and his own received him not. He stepped down from a throne. He stepped down from that royal position of Pharaoh's temple, he has sided himself with the Hebrew nation, and they rejected him. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 27, at the trial of Jesus, it says that Pilate knew that the reason that they had brought him to be tried, Caiaphas and the elders and all the reason they brought him to be tried was because of envy and jealousy. See, that's one of the same problems they got right here. They've watched Moses for 40 years in Pharaoh's temple. They've watched him eat the finest food available and, and live in, in the luxuries of Egypt while they are slaves, while they are beaten, while their, their young boys, baby boys, are being murdered. They see all that. There is jealousy there. There is envy there. So, so they reject him. Stephen is 
trying to give them this perfect picture. I'm out of time. Steve is, is, is trying to give them the, this perfect picture of what they're doing with Christ. Can't, can't you see? Can't, can't you see? The, the same thing when God sent a deliverer, he was, he was rejected. When God sent a deliverer that was rejected, and now God has sent a deliverer that you are rejecting. Can't you see? Can't you see who Jesus is? Can't, can't you see a trend here? Can't you see that history is repeating itself here? Can't you understand who Jesus Christ is? Stephen's just trying to use all of these Old Testament from back at the beginning of Abraham all the way down to show them Jesus, Jesus' opening part of the Sermon on the Mount has what we call the, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, are the meek. Blessed are the merciful, the, the pure in heart. But he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus came to establish peace. But the religious crowd didn't want any of it. And he's setting this up to show the same thing. Like, hey, Moses came down to these men to establish peace. They didn't want any of it. Don't, don't you see the, the similarity? Stephen is trying to help them understand that, that God has given the Hebrew people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And every time they've rejected them and God's had to put them back into slavery. And then God delivers them and brings them out and gives them opportunities. And then they reject it and, and God has to knock them back down again. Each time... God has sent judgment when they rejected the deliverer. Stephen's trying to let them know this time ain't going to be any different. And if you reject this one, you got a real problem. Oh, it was one thing to have rejected Moses. But it's another thing to reject the son of the living God. Born of a virgin, sent here for us. Not like God didn't know they'd do it, but Stephen's doing everything he can but we, we, we need that kind of passion. He has a group of people right here. You remember who's standing around in this? Some guy might have wrote mm, 13 books of the New Testament, 14 if you credit the book of Hebrews to him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Paul the Apostle, kind of like we wasn't always Christians. Paul wasn't always Paul. He's, he's one of the one in the crowd right here. He, he's one of the ones getting ready to... Stone Stephen. The entire member of the Sanhedrin council is there. And they're, they're there for one purpose. I can't stand Jesus. I can't stand you. And I'm going to stone you and everybody else like you. And all Stephen's trying to do is tell them about Jesus to get them saved. We, we need that kind of heart for LaGrange, Georgia. We need that kind of heart for Troop County, Harris County, Heard County, Coyote County, Fayette County, Meriwether County. We, we need that kind of heart for the people that are around us. It doesn't matter what they say or say about us or even think. What matters is that people are lost and dying and going to hell every single day, and we are one breath away from them. We can at least tell them. Boy, wouldn't it be something to have the kind of heart that Stephen's got right here? To be pouring out your soul and everything you've got to somebody. You know they're about to kill you because they hate you. And all you do is love them so much that you want them to know about you. Hey, 
If I don't do nothing else before I die, I want to make sure you know about Jesus. Well, Lord willing, we'll pick up right there next week and continue on in, in chapter 7. And maybe, Lord, give us a little bit more. I, I pray, Lord, gave you something. I sure enjoy studying it. I, I, I hope, Lord, gives you a little something each time we, we study one in here. So let's pray and we'll go get their children before they send somebody up here to posse to get me wanting to know why. Send somebody down to get all them young'uns. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, that you sent us a deliverer. God, I thank you that we, we were those other sheep. We, we were the castaways. We, we were that Gentile nation. We were the dogs to the Jews. We, we were the ones that were separated. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and made a way. I thank you, God, that, that there's the church, the bride of Christ. God, I thank you, Father, for loving us in a way that we will never be able to fully understand until we see Jesus, and at that moment, we're like him. At that moment, we'll understand all things, God. I look forward to that day when we see the face of Jesus and stand in your presence. And God, in the meantime, as Brother Tim talked about, before we ever started singing, you put breath in our lungs, and you've given us a time on this earth. There's a set time, an appointed time. And in that time, we have one job, and that is to let people see Christ in us and Christ through us. God, I pray you'd help us to be that, help us to live that, Help us to do that, that the, the lost and dying world might see the goodness of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father. Help us this week, before this, before this week's out, God. Help each one of us to tell somebody about Jesus, that a soul might be saved, that there might be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner come to repentance. We love you, God. We trust you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.